As we prepare to open God's word, let's now pray and ask that he would bless it to us. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear, read, learn, and inwardly digest them, that through the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. And please turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 1, which will be our sermon text for this evening, almost all the way to the end of the Old Testament. If you've reached Matthew, you've gone too far. Second to last book of the Old Testament. And I have uh, the, a great opportunity, which I'm very thankful for, for the next uh, several weeks to begin a sermon series through the book of Zechariah, uh, mostly during our evening services. And so I'm uh, very excited and very uh, grateful for the opportunity. So we'll be beginning that, uh, that series this evening and, uh, and considering this opening uh, passage in Zechariah, chapter 1, verses 1 through uh, 6. So... Um, Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, Did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Well, as I say, we're we're beginning a uh, sermon series through the book of Zechariah this evening, and I'm very excited to to be uh, diving into this book a little bit because it is such an interesting book and it is a unique book uh, of, the, of the Bible in, in several ways. Um, and verse 1 of our passage already brings out for us a couple ways in which uh, Zechariah is particularly unique as a, as a book of the Bible. Um, there are three things especially which are uh, introduced for us in the very first verse of this, uh, of this book, two of which I think bring out uh, so things that are particularly unique about Zechariah as opposed to other books, and one of which uh, is, stands more in line with, uh, with other uh, biblical uh, prophetic books especially. So the first thing we really see in this, in this first verse of our passage is we get a date. We get a, a date at the very beginning in the eighth month in the second year of Darius is the date that begins, uh, that begins this book that orients us to the time period in which Zechariah is ministering. And uh, um, quite impressively, historians have been able to uh, match our calendar with 
uh, the calendars that were used at that time. And so we know that this date is October or November, uh, either the month, month of October or November of the year 520 BC. So it's quite amazing that we know very specifically when Zechariah began his ministry. And this is um, this uh, specificity that we find with this date formula here uh, is one of the things that makes Zechariah quite unique as opposed to other prophetic books. We find in other prophetic books some uh, indication as to when those prophets ministered. Uh, in Isaiah, for example, he tells us the king uh, at the time that he was ministering. But, this, but the specificity of the dates in Zechariah is quite unique, how specific he is about when he was ministering. And this is really helpful for us because it allows us to determine very precisely who his audience was and what the context in which he was ministering was. Um, now, just to give a brief uh, kind of overview as we think about uh, the year 520 B.C. of what's going on with the people of Israel and Judah at this time in history, um, about 66 years earlier, so uh, 586 B.C., is a very significant date in the history of the Jewish people, and that is the exile to Babylon, the, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king at that time, and his armies uh, came against Jerusalem, and they destroyed the walls of the city, they destroyed the palace, they destroyed the temple, and they deported a number of the Judeans to Babylon. And that was a, of course, very significant event in the history of the Jewish people, which happened only 66 years prior to this book being written and serves as very important background for the book of Zechariah. In the year uh, 539 then, I won't give too many dates, I'll give only three dates here, so uh, don't, don't worry. Uh, but uh, in the year 539 then, so we're now about 40 years after the exile, Cyrus, who, was, who had been on the rise in the Persians for the past 20 or so years, uh, came into Babylon and uh, took over the Babylonian Empire. And his policy was, was different than, uh, than the Babylonian policy had been for exiles. He sent them back to their homelands. And so we read at the end of the book of Chronicles, at the beginning of uh, the book of Ezra, the decree of Cyrus, which uh, which is, again, another very significant event in the history of the Jewish people, sending them back to Judea to build the temple uh, and given resources from the Persian government to do that, from the royal treasury to, to rebuild the temple. And there was initially some great excitement over the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, they rebuilt the altar very quickly. They laid the foundations of the temple but very quickly through a combination of different factors, opposition, which we read about, probably some financial difficulties, and um, as well as just laziness and disinterest uh, very quickly on the part of the people, the temple project stopped very quickly after it had started. And so uh, as we come now to the year 520, the temple is at about the same point that it was in 538, when the exiles returned, they had barely made any progress on it at all. And so Haggai, who is the prophet that comes before Zechariah, and Zechariah, as they are uh, preaching to the people in the year 520, they're particularly concerned with the rebuilding of the temple. 
This is what they are. Haggai says to the people, he, he also gives very specific dates. And only a couple months before Zechariah began his ministry, Haggai said, now is the time to rebuild. And this is something that Zechariah is concerned with as well, that now is the time to rebuild the temple, to finish the work of rebuilding the temple, which had been torn down 66 years earlier by the Babylonians. So this is the audience that they're preaching to, and this is the context in which we find this book of Zechariah preaching to these returned exiles and encouraging them to rebuild the temple and reminding them not only to rebuild the building itself, but also what that means, what a rebuilt temple, what the presence of God returning in their midst means, that they must now be a holy people with a holy God dwelling in their midst. So that's the first thing we get in verse 1 that, that is somewhat unique. The second one, very briefly, is Darius, the king of Persia, the current, the current king at this, at this point in history. And it's not abnormal for prophetic books to date uh, their, uh, their ministry to the time of a king, but it is unique for prophetic books to date their ministry to a foreign king, to a king who is not from Israel or Judah. And so this will be something that Zechariah will have to reckon with. What does this mean for these people that they no longer have a king? The king was so important in, for Israel and Judah, this figure that God had set up to, uh, to lead them forth in battle, to establish justice in the land, and there's no longer a king. They are, they are now completely under the domination of a foreign empire. And so that's the second thing that is somewhat unique about the book of Zechariah. And then lastly, this is something that stands very much in the line of other prophetic books. We get the name of the prophet. Zechariah is uh, that the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. Um, And, of course, he is called a prophet, and so it's unsurprising that the word of the Lord comes to him. Uh, We spoke a few weeks ago at Pentecost about how the prophets were those who were given special revelation from God, who had a communion with him that others in, uh, in Judah did not share. And so the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah in order that he might preach to the people of Judah. And really this um, verse 1, of course, very much sets the stage for us in this entire book, gives us the context and the audience that we'll be uh, considering that Zechariah will be preaching to. But I would say as well that these opening six verses, all the six verses that we're going to be considering this evening, serve as a heading to the book of Zechariah, introduce for us important themes uh, that will return over and over again in this book. They orient us to to what this book will be about. And so really what we see in these uh, opening six verses is two groups of people. And because I did a little bit more of an extended introduction this evening uh, to orient us to the book, we'll only have two points this evening about the two groups of people that we find in these opening verses of this, uh, of this book. Uh, we really see uh, rebellious fathers is one group of people that we see in these verses, and the other group is repentant sons. So those will be our two points for this evening, rebellious fathers and repentant sons. So first we'll think about how Zechariah talks about the rebellious fathers uh, based on the word of the Lord that was given to him. This is how, in fact, the word of the Lord to Zechariah begins. It begins in verse 2, with the rebellious fathers. The Lord says to him, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. 
Now, when he talks about the fathers here, he's especially referring to the generation before the exile, that generation that, uh, that, was, um, that lived prior to the exile in Jerusalem and that was deported, many of them, off to Babylon. This is the generation that, that Zechariah is talking about when he talks about the fathers. This was Jeremiah's generation. He preached to those fathers that Zechariah is talking about, the prophet Jeremiah, up until the time of the exile. Uh, he, he preached to them. And the passage tells us as well why the Lord was angry with the fathers. In verse 4, Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Now, Zechariah here is kind of quoting the general message of the prophets when he gives these words that the former prophets cried out, return uh, from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. This is the general message that the prophets preach to Israel and Judah throughout their whole history, really. Uh, Return to me. This is the message that they were so often called to proclaim. But I think maybe Zechariah is is especially thinking here of Jeremiah chapter 25. Remember, Jeremiah was the prophet that Uh, especially preached to those fathers right up until the time of the exile. So he was around when things were getting really bad, when it was coming to an end. And here's what he says to to the uh, fathers at that time before the exile. He says, You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent sent to you all his servants the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, And dwell upon the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers from of old and forever. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. The Lord is angry because of their evil ways and evil deeds. Because they broke God's covenant. Because they forsook their God. Especially Jeremiah talks about idolatry as a problem. They turned away from the Lord to false gods and served them. They didn't establish justice in the land. They were cruel to the oppressed. They continued to to oppress them. And they didn't listen to God's messengers who over and over and over again cried out to them, turn, return to me, turn from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. They didn't listen to them. They didn't pay attention to them. They ignored them. And as I said, this was really the case throughout the whole history of the people of Israel. This is why uh, we sang the entirety of Psalm 106. You might have been wondering why I, was, uh, why I had to sing the entire 14 verses of that, of that psalm. But this is really why. is because that psalm recounts for us the history of Israel, a history which really one of the ways it can be summarized and the way that that psalm really summarizes the history of the people of Israel is a faithless people who have a very faithful and long-suffering God, a God who over and over again delivers a people who have been ungrateful for his salvation and who have rejected it and forgotten almost immediately what their God did for them. And yet over and over again, he rescues them, he delivers them. Toward the end of the uh, psalm in verse 43, it says, Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through iniquity. God was faithful, and his people 
or faithless throughout the whole history of Israel. And as they went deeper and deeper into depravity, and as they continued to harden their hearts and not repent from their sin and ignore God's messengers, finally, uh, finally, uh, we read in verse 6 what happened to the people of Judah. Israel had already gone into exile 150 years earlier. Now Judah, here's what, they, here's what Zechariah says in verse 6 of our passage about what happened to the people of Judah. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? Now this overtake language is language we especially, uh, that's especially looking back to the book of Deuteronomy. And the overtake language is language associated with blessings and curses. If the people obey God's law and do what is right, if they are obedient, the blessings of the covenant will overtake them, we're told. But if they disobey God's law and they do evil in God's sight, the curses of the covenant will overtake them. And that's indeed what happened. They disobeyed God's law. They were not repentant. And the curses of the covenant overtook them. They came after them, and, in, and uh, in 586, that important date, finally the curses of the covenant overtook them as the Babylonians tore down the walls of Jerusalem, tore down the palace, the king's palace, tore down the temple, and deported so much of their, of their population to Babylon, took them away. The prophets called out time and time again, there was... There were so many opportunities to repent, and yet over and over again, they hardened their hearts. They closed their ears. Jeremiah says, for 23 years I've been calling out to you. That's in the same passage I read just a moment ago. But they did not listen for all of those years. Now in verse 5, we get a couple of rhetorical questions about the fathers and the prophets. Where are your fathers? Where are the prophets? Right? And of course, the answer to that question is dead. They're dead and gone. Right? The curses overtook them for their wickedness, the fathers. And now it's 66 years later. The people have returned to the land. These are the, uh, these are the sons and daughters, the grandchildren and the granddaughters of that uh, generation that went into exile. And the same, uh, the, the prophets are dead. The prophets that called out, the fathers, the curses overtook them. And yet the same prophetic word, the same word that came to those fathers, comes now to this generation, Zechariah's generation after the exile. The same call from God, return to me and I will turn to you. And so we turn then to our second point, repentant sons. In verse 2, uh, just as a reminder, Zechariah, the word began, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. And he says, therefore, because the Lord was very angry with your fathers, preach to your generation that they wouldn't go the way of their fathers, that they would repent instead of hardening their hearts. Warn them not to provoke the Lord to anger. Now we can imagine ourselves for a moment in the shoes of uh, Zechariah's generation as those who have returned from exile. We might be wondering to ourselves, are the Lord's promises still for me? Did, did our fathers breaking the covenant, does that mean God has forsaken us and that we are no longer God's people? We might be wondering this to ourselves as we, as we have just returned um, from exile. 
And these people who have returned from exile, they're also beginning to slip back into the ways of their ancestors. They, uh, as I mentioned, were uh, due to several factors, but in part their own laziness and their own desire for their own comfort. Not, they had failed to rebuild the temple as God had sent them back from exile to do. And so they were, uh, they were slipping back. They weren't concerned with the worship of God as they should have been. And this is what Zechariah and Haggai are calling them back from. Don't be like your fathers. Care about the true worship of God and about the holiness that the people of God who have a holy God dwelling in their midst must exhibit. They're taking the land again for granted after only being back for less than one generation. And this is the context in which Zechariah delivers this sermon, pointing them to their rebellious fathers. Don't be like them, he says in verse 4. They didn't listen. You need to listen to the words of God and to his messengers. They didn't pay attention, he says. You need to pay careful attention to God. And they were overtaken by the curses, and now they're dead. But you have time. You have a chance to repent. Now is the day. This same prophetic word comes to you, and there is still time for you, Zechariah says to his generation. And of course, that prophetic word is what we read in verse 3. The fundamental message of the prophets, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. And to a generation that is unsure if God's covenant is still for them, if their God has forsaken them, to a generation that's slipping back into the ways of their ancestors, that's turning away from the Lord once again, these words are very comforting words. Return to me and I will turn to you. These are words that they need to hear as they're they're slipping back into sin and into the ways of the fathers. These words make very clear to them that God has not forsaken us, that if we turn to God, he will still turn to us, that he is still for us. He will receive us. And this is an incredibly gracious act of God after everything that the fathers did, that he still promises to turn to them if they will repent and trust in him. He's reaching out to them through his prophet, just like he did to their fathers time and time again. And so we read that in the second half of verse 6, at the very end of our passage, we read the result of Zechariah's sermon, the result of this sermon that he preached to his generation, saying, do not be like your fathers, answer this call, return to the Lord. And verse 6, the second half, so they repented. And said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Zechariah's generation repented. They turned away from their deeds. They confessed that God was just. That's what this confession is communicating. God was just to send our fathers into exile. They deserved that for for hardening their hearts against God. And God is just to punish us for for fall, beginning to fall back into those ways. We read about all the, all the things that have been happening to them in, in the book of Haggai especially for their refusal to rebuild the temple and to, and to care about the reinstituting the true worship of God. And they confess that God is just to punish them in this way. God is just to do this. Now, there's a word that is repeated four times in this this passage, in verses 1 through 6 alone. 
And of course, if it's repeated that many times, we would expect that this would be a very significant word, and indeed it is. And that word is return. The fathers were called to return over and over again by the prophets, and they refused to return. And so God turned away from them in anger and in wrath. Zechariah's generation received this same call to return to the Lord, to turn to him, and they did. They repented. And in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 16, so just 10 verses later in, the, in a passage that we'll, Lord willing, consider next week, we read, Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. The people turned to their God, and he turned to them. This passage, as I said, kind of sets the tone for this whole book, that the following chapters are going to be about God returning to dwell with his people, turning his face toward them in mercy rather than in judgment, dwelling once again in their midst in a rebuilt temple with a holy people. This is the same message that goes out as well from pulpits all over the world today. It's amazing, 2,500 years ago, Zechariah preached to these people. The message returned to me, and he can point that this message is even older than he was, that this message went to the fathers and their fathers throughout the whole history of Israel. And this is the same message again that goes forth from churches today. Return to me, turn to the Lord, and he will turn to you. This is the beautiful truth, the message that the parable of the prodigal son brings out for us. That when we repent and turn to the Lord and put our faith in him, that he will turn to us, that he will receive us with open arms. As the youngest son went away into that distant land and forsook his father and then returned and said, I would just take anything to be back with my father. I would even come back as a slave. And here's what we read, just the end of that parable. While he was still a long way off, the youngest son coming back, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is a beautiful picture of, what, of this message that Zechariah is preaching, that this youngest son turns to the father in repentance and faith, and the father receives him with open arms. They began to celebrate. And he was treated not like a slave as he asked to be, but like a son. And why can we have such confidence, brothers and sisters, that our father will receive us with open arms when we repent and turn to him? Because Christ has reconciled us to God once and for all. Because he has once and for all removed the, the, the uh, source of enmity that existed between us and God by his sacrificial death on the cross. He has removed that, that sin that caused God to look upon us as enemies. And now he has reconciled us to God and we are his friends And so how will our Heavenly Father not give us all things with Him because of that? In fact, He turned to us first. That's the wonderful thing that we see in this passage is that 
is that although the people are commanded, turn to me and I will turn to you, God turned to them first, bringing them out of exile, sending his messenger to them. And he has done the same thing for us, brothers and sisters. He has turned to us. As we close for this evening, we're all like Zechariah's audience in some way. Maybe some of you are here and wondering if God's promises are still for you, if he has forsaken you, if he is turned against you in anger. Well, this is a promise to you that if you turn to him, that he will turn to you as well. If you look to his son, Jesus Christ, in repentance and faith, he will turn to you. We all certainly need to repent from our sins on a daily basis. And again, this is a promise to all of us that as we repent and turn to him, as we look to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, that the Lord will receive us with open arms, just as he received his son in that parable, that he will receive us and not turn us away. And maybe you're here this evening not trusting in Christ for your salvation. This is a promise to you as well that if you turn to God and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, in repentance and faith for for the forgiveness of your sins, that he will turn to you. Do not be like that generation before the exile that did not repent, that repent, that hardened their hearts against the Lord. Turn to him and he will turn to you. And so like the Israelites who sang Psalm 106, although we are so often a faithless people, we serve such a faithful God. And so we can sing, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, thank you that although we are so often a faithless people, you are a faithful God. Thank you that you have turned to us first, sending your Son to reconcile us to you. And so we can have confidence that when we turn to you in repentance and faith, looking to our Lord Jesus Christ, you will turn to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.